Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Urano Pais. And today we are talking about spiritual bypass and the Enneagram. Spiritual bypass refers to a way of relating to experience where a person goes to a higher level or a spiritual level or sometimes an intellectual level in experiencing something and bypasses a more psychological experience of that phenomenon. Now, this term was coined by someone who actually is from the area I live in. It was coined by John Wellwood, who has written several books about psychological and spiritual development. Um, He passed away in the last few years, but he um, is part of the community, I would say, generally that that I live in here in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, especially connected to the school that I went to, the California Institute of Integral Studies, that is a school that specializes in combining psychological and spiritual education and experience and development in everything it does. Now, spiritual bypassing is something that people can do very unconsciously. Uh, They cannot realize that they are bypassing a certain element or a certain stage or stages of psychological development and wanting to kind of skip over certain steps of development or certain phases of uh, human development in order to have, let's say, a more transcendental or a more transpersonal experience. So this is an important thing for many reasons, and I think it happens a lot in the Enneagram world. And the reason for that is because uh, the Enneagram, as, as we know, is a psychological and spiritual tool, but it can be used as a purely a psychological tool by some people or a purely spiritual tool by some people. I, I like to use it as both at the same time, but certainly different people have different interests. And I think sometimes people use the Enneagram as a way of gaining insight into their experience without really always using it in conjunction with something that is, in a way, kind of forcing them to confront the ego or to do the psychological work that we all need to do to grow to the point where we are more capable of going to a more spiritual dimension of experience. So that's that's kind of a long introduction. Um, what would you say about this topic, Uranio? Well, I agree that it's really important and also that it's it happens a lot on the Enneagram community and in communities that are similar to ours uh, where we do inner work practices. And especially if we have a powerful system available for us like the Enneagram is. Now, I think B, it's also useful if we enlarge and enrich a little bit the concept of spiritual bypass. I think that one of the aspects of it is, and perhaps the most important, is not doing psychological work and going straight to spiritual work. But I think there are other ways that we all can spiritual bypass. Another one is to talk about spirituality and to to try to absorb some concepts about it, but not really experiencing them or practicing them as much. I also see that as, as a spiritual bypass in a way. Another way is to go straight to some experiences that can 
raise our awareness or expand, not raise, our awareness without considering the level of awareness we are in right now. Not too humble, I'd say. So doing more the hard work um, of uh, everyday construction of something new for us uh, when it comes to working with our egos is really important. Another way that I see that people's spiritual bypass is by idealizing spiritual experiences, like uh, seeing beautiful things all at once and getting connected only to the beauty of uh, spiritual experiences and not really realizing that many times in the first stages of spirituality, it's not as much about seeing good stuff, but seeing shadows and, and expanding our field of energy and getting in touch with a lot of collective pain, for instance. So there is both idealizing and fantasizing at times that people have. Uh, and one last thing, uh, among others, that uh, is included, in my view, in this concept of spiritual bypass is that when it comes to the Enneagram, it's not really enough to, to do workshops. Um, it's, it's important to do weekly work, like in therapy. And some people get addicted to doing all sorts of workshops and um, um, some interventions that happen uh, usually during weekends or in spare weeks um, that don't do it all. And more modernly, uh, I want to say something to our dear podcast listeners now that listening to podcasts on the Enneagram isn't enough either. It's important to go engage with this work in other ways, other levels. I think that it's really important to always remember that the Enneagram itself is not a standalone tool. I mean, we we think the Enneagram is amazing, and obviously it gives us huge insights into ourselves that help us further our, our psychological and spiritual growth. Uh, but we need to use the Enneagram as a good map, as an inspiration, as a source of you know unlimited insights into ourselves. But then we need to do the work. And sometimes that means going to therapy. Sometimes it means uh, exploring different kinds of therapy and psychological work. And as you said, I think that's really important. It's often about facing the shadow. Um, we often hear that the Enneagram work is about uh, seeing the personality in action so that we can let it go or let it drop or release it. And, and I do think that's true. However, I think it takes more than that because while sometimes when we observe something in ourselves or when we start seeing something that we didn't see before, that in itself creates some shifts in consciousness. I think that only goes so far. And this is, of course, because the whole idea of shadow is that we have a lot of our psyche that remains unconscious. And there, we're motivated, our ego is motivated to keep that unconscious because this often includes early wounding or pain that we 
you know, we habitually avoid feeling because it hurts. And it's just the most natural thing in the world as a human to want to avoid encountering or feeling painful emotions or painful experiences from the past. But sometimes if those pains or those patterns that grow out of needing to defend against uh, early hurts come up in the present and uh, as blocks uh, to our further development or to becoming more aware of more of ourselves, then I think we need to be able to confront those things. And oftentimes that means doing some work, whether it's in a group or with a psychotherapist or you know, in many different ways. Uh, I think spiritual bypass is when we unconsciously or maybe semi-consciously kind of avoid doing what we really need to do to kind of do the on the ground growth steps uh, that we need to do to really face ourselves and really understand um, these habitual patterns and how our ego, it, it just tries to keep itself in charge. Uh, and it has tricky ways of motivating us to avoid becoming aware of certain important things we need to become aware of to grow. And one of the ways the ego does this is by, let's say, having an amazing experience in meditation or at a retreat or at a spiritual workshop where all of a sudden we get into a sense and and of course some of this can come with using things like psychedelics and ayahuasca which is becoming more and more prevalent in fact there are whole podcasts now about uh, using these things as um, vehicles for growth or for getting a window into a higher level or a different kind of experience and i think what happens is we get a taste of that and we think ah I'm there, or I just want to go there. And just uh, give me some of that good experience of transcending or um, getting in touch with some sort of higher experience. But what I think spiritual bypassing tells us is that if we don't do the on-the-ground experiential, psychological you know, work of integrating some of the experiences that may be hard for us to face or that we may habitually avoid, if we go to some of those more spiritual places in different ways, sometimes what happens is we think we've arrived at a destination, but it's just an illusion of arrival. It's just a little taste of what could be possible if we don't skip any steps in our development and if we go back and do the step-by-step -step work of, as we've talked about in, in when we refer to levels of awareness, um, and we have a model for that now that we're developing, um, that there are different things required at different points along the process. And at certain points, uh, more difficult work needs to be engaged with. And if we avoid that, uh, we can't really sustain some of the higher level of experiences that sometimes we get a window into, but that really is only just a glimpse if we don't do uh, the step-by-step -step experiential work that needs to be done to really be able to get to a point where our ego doesn't interfere with those higher experiences. So I think it's important to understand that to overcome the spiritual bypass, we first need to be informed about this risk and look at this cognitively. And later, though, 
I think we need to understand it's not it's not just about being informed and it's not even just a habit. It's our ego trying to manipulate us so that we don't do the hard parts of the work. It's more than just being naive. It's there there is a, a, a bad mechanism behind uh, spiritual bypassing. And it's good if we save this so that we don't think it's, oh, now I know and it won't happen anymore. And there are different levels of spiritual bypassing. And it's good to be aware of how our ego disguises in all uh, moments of our, our journey. Uh, and will try to make us spiritual bypass again in more indirect ways. Now, I also want to add, given all that you said, B, uh, another way that people spiritually bypass, especially when using the Enneagram. The Enneagram is this great, unique map of uh, developing consciousness. So some people spiritual bypass by, by just studying the map, by just looking at the theory, just understanding things about the types, the arrows, the levels, the wings, the subtypes, the instincts, but not really applying all this great map into their own territories, their stories, their particular challenges in life, in, in the present and in the past. And therefore, they are not applying it to the territory that is what will uh, ultimately uh, lead to actual transformation. Yes, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I think you're articulating it very clearly. Um, I think that a couple of points I want to make is, one is, I think the Enneagram is really powerful and helpful in that if we choose to use it this way, it provides this great map of human transformation that includes both the psychological work and higher spiritual development. Uh, it's a little bit like Ken Wilber's transpersonal vision. When he first started writing about this, he was saying, look, I'm bringing Freud and the Buddha together, like for the first part of life to a certain point, and you know, to some degree for all of our lives. But the first part of the journey is very psychological. We need to become more aware. We need to become more conscious of things we tend to remain unconscious to that, as we're saying, the ego wants us to remain unconscious to so it can stay in charge. But then at a certain point, we have the opportunity for higher spiritual development to grow way beyond our personality, to grow to a kind of true or higher self. And there are things that are required in that work that are different than the psychology. Uh, and of course, um, there are different kinds of states of consciousness we humans are capable of attaining when we go beyond the psychological. Now, I think another really important point is to start maybe giving some examples of what spiritual bypassing can look like. Uh, but before I, I give a few of my examples, and I want to hear some of yours, I also want to say something that we say often when we talk about this, and that is that uh, people who spiritually bypass can be dangerous. And this can happen when people are studying the Enneagram too. And, 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 it, and some examples of this are um, people who, let's say, are even spiritual teachers, 
um, who have, let's say, you know, invested a lot of time and effort over many years in a particular spiritual practice, and even get to be able to uh, access higher levels of awareness. Like some really, uh, there are many examples, you know, internationally, I think of spiritual teachers that, you know, have real spiritual attainment and do help people in, in some ways to develop spiritually, but end up getting in trouble. Like they end up abusing their students in some ways or engaging in corrupt activities, and oftentimes, I think this is an example of someone who has developed more spiritually, but has not done their psychological work. And so when that happens, whenever we don't do our psychological work, which means processing, you know, early wounds, it means doing the work of, uh, of processing the, the relationship with your mother and your father and your siblings and your family system, sometimes even maybe historical ancestral patterns, but especially in facing your shadows and facing the pains or the parts of yourself that you haven't really wanted to see and own. When you don't do that, you will act those things out because when we have uh, emotions or pains or shadows that we don't face, they make themselves known in ways that we don't see, but that have very real effects in the world. So I think the example of people who are spiritual leaders who um, you know, really do some not so good things, maybe it's um, sexually abusing or spiritually abusing their, the, the people who follow them. Um, this, is, this is something that's really bad because uh, people can be deeply, deeply hurt uh, in these settings because not only is it just, you know, straight ahead abuse, of maybe a physical or sexual kind, but it's also a kind of psychological abuse because when we give ourselves over to someone to lead us in our spiritual development, it's very sacred. And it often uh, means we really open our heart to that person or we or we view that person as an authority and someone who can really guide us in these deep spaces in our inner life. Uh, and then that person hasn't done their work uh, they can act out in some really, really destructive ways. And this is one one of several reasons to talk about spiritual bypass. Uh, but I think this is a really important thing to point out and part of why we're dedicating this podcast to this topic. Most of our listeners know that I'm Brazilian. And we had this very dramatic case in Brazil, B, with someone who's very well known in the U.S., actually better known in the U.S. than in Brazil, João de Deus, João of God. Um, he is or, or was this very powerful medium doing a lot of work in a small town in Brazil. And he would get thousands of people every week for healing. And many people experienced uh, great healing uh, through his hands when he channeled and uh, entities and so on and the place itself had very good things uh, the meditation room and so on and i have several friends who had good experiences in there but then it, everything came out uh, that he was abusing people in all sorts of ways i mean so much sexual abuse but also social abuse in the whole town like everybody who had a small commerce, had to pay him bribes and so on. 
and he had guns and he would threat people behind the scenes. So extremely low level of awareness in his development. In his case, I believe he's innate. And at the same time, he had all that spiritual power. And that is a, a more dramatic example of spiritual bypass. There is the more subtle spiritual bypass, but this is a very clear uh, spiritual bypass. And um, sometimes people refuse seeing it. It took him years and decades to to be denounced. And only more recently with a whole international movement of um, these things coming to, to uh, you know, coming public, that he got caught and everything stopped. But I just wanted to mention this, um, this case because I think, as I said, it's very dramatic and it tells us how much these people can be dangerous. And also, I, I, I wanted to mention this to say another thing. Some people can have true spiritual powers and have intuition, very developed intuition, but still be completely unaware when it comes to a psychological level. I, I'm so glad that you're giving this example because I think it is a very dramatic example and one that really um, illustrates very clearly what we're talking about. And that, that there is this very interesting situation where you can get someone who does have powers of different kinds. It could be someone who's an excellent teacher, but when it's spiritual power, it's it's really, um, it, it can be quite damaging. And when it's mixed with a kind of low level of ego development or someone who hasn't really done the work to get to a level of real humility in what they do. And I think if, if people really are engaging their shadow and doing their work and facing their pain and really doing all the work we all need to do to be able to sustain a high level of development when it comes to spirituality, uh, when that doesn't happen, there are all kinds of bad things that can happen for the person themselves, but also for the people they interact with. The Enneagram 2.0 podcast goes live every other Thursday on all main platforms. Stay tuned to learn more about yourself and others. Have you already subscribed for B and Yaranyu's YouTube channel? Go to YouTube and search for Chestnut Pies and click on like and subscribe. If you like this podcast, visit www.cpenneagram.com for much more great Enneagram content. Please click on like to help spread the word about our podcast. Thank you for listening. Now, a few other examples of what I think might fall under the category of spiritual bypassing that people may not think of. Um, are, for instance, I think sometimes when people want to go to a kind of forgiveness too quickly, they just forgive um, their parents or they just forgive certain people. It's like a wanting to go to the good part. Uh, and forgiveness can be a very spiritual experience. And of course, forgiveness is something so important that we should all strive for because when we don't forgive, we actually poison ourselves. We carry around something in ourselves and we don't let go of some of these things. But if you go there too soon as a way of short circuiting, 
a process of really looking at what you experienced and how you felt if someone did something with you. Almost like the forgiveness isn't as effective because you haven't done the process to get to the point where you are ready to let it go, where letting it go and forgiving makes so much sense and in itself can can be a higher level of experience. But also another example of spiritual bypassing is when I think people engage on a more intellectual level with spirituality and they don't bring it into their daily life. For instance, I think a lot of people who might be who might consider themselves religious people or a person of faith or someone who really follows a specific spiritual tradition, sometimes I think can get caught up in either the theology or the dogma or the a certain level of meaning of you know, scripture or spiritual wisdom or something, they can they can engage with it intellectually, but not bring it into their lives. For instance, someone who quotes Jesus, um, the words of Jesus, but doesn't enact those words in their everyday life, who, who maybe acts in ways that's really counter to what Jesus said, all the while kind of quoting this kind of scripture as a way of saying, you know, I know this tradition, or I know what the dogma says, or I, I'm wise because I know I can quote, uh, you know, the verses of the Bible, uh, but they're not really bringing it into their everyday life. And I think that um, people can do this with the Enneagram, you know, even people who teach the Enneagram. The Enneagram can be so uh, exciting and so fascinating because it tells us so much about ourselves and the people around us. But I think if people get too enamored with the Enneagram, and as you said, like all the different elements of it or the diagnostic level of it, or being able to tell other people what type they are, or even kind of learning a lot about their own type, but not applying that knowledge to really confront their ego, then I think they can be dangerous in a way. And I see, for instance, a lot of um, Enneagram practitioners and even enthusiasts out there that will tell other people, oh, well, you know, this type does this, or this type is like this. And they even spread kind of, you know, inaccurate uh, descriptions of the different types, but they kind of say it with this kind of authority uh, that it's almost like the Enneagram can be used as a weapon, or it can be used as an excuse, or it can be used as a way of um, subtly putting other people down or elevating oneself. And I think these are all examples of ways the Enneagram can be misused when people uh, learn about it enough to be dangerous or learn about it and, and, and feel the power that comes from it, but don't actually apply it in their own deep inner work to really create some shifts inside themselves toward more humility, uh, more owning of of their own habits and patterns, uh, more of a sense of like the more I know, the less I know. Um, you know, I think these are the kinds of things I sometimes see in the Enneagram community that I think can can be related to this idea of spiritual bypass. Yeah, very very good points, B. I also think that another way that people bypass using the Enneagram is by staying in touch only with the very cool parts of the system and not paying attention as much 
to when the system says, do this hard piece of work here. Go work hard in this, which is not very pleasant. And people just bypass that part and <laughs> want to get in touch only with the cooler parts. Right, right. I think that's a good way of saying it, of like, you know, it's a great thing to pull out at a cocktail party because you can, you know, show what deep insights you have. Uh, but have you really looked at your own uh, work that you need to do, and especially if it's very uncomfortable or if it's something that brings up a lot of resistance, uh, we need to employ the Enneagram in ourselves at a deep level before we uh, either see ourselves as an authority or throw it around too much, too casually. Uh, and I think that this all, I think, is really important to talk about and I think is is kind of related to this, this way of bypassing. I'm going to bypass my own work on the ground to use these insights to develop uh, no matter what. Um, versus um, the way that the Enneagram knowledge can feed a kind of power shadow in, in some people. Yes, exactly. I, I am uh, glad that you're mentioning the power shadow because I think it's what it is behind most of the tendencies to spiritually bypass. Now, I just want to, to share also a phrase that sometimes we tell our students uh, that, you know, with the Enneagram is a psycho-spiritual system of self-development. So we say that the Enneagram work needs to contemplate both psychological and spiritual work. However, there are two cases, people who do psychological work, but not as much spiritual work, and people who do spiritual work and not so much psychological work. So the phrase is, psychological work without spiritual work is limiting, and spiritual work without psychological work is dangerous. I think that's a good way to summarize uh, much of what we're talking about. So I wonder if it would be interesting to talk about just maybe a couple of the ways that each of the nine types might tend to spiritually bypass when they do that. And I do think that there are some types and subtypes that are more likely to spiritually bypass, but of course, any type or any subtype can spiritually bypass. Any of us can do this. So um, while, again, some coping strategies, habitual patterns, some some personality profiles might lend themselves to this a little bit more, uh, I think anyone can do it. So I, I, I like the idea of sort of thinking through together, and we haven't really talked about this aspect of it, how all nine types might do this, um, I think will be enlightening for people. So I think type eights, uh, if they spiritually bypass, I think the way it can happen is by focusing a lot on a certain kind of power and strength. And that may be related to spiritual power. It may be related to a kind of intellectual power or maybe specific gifts or expertise that somebody has that they kind of get um, a, an ego thrill out of expressing in the world. Uh, but that they do that without also doing the work of encountering their vulnerability. Uh, I think eights that don't do the hard work of getting in touch with vulnerable feelings and really uh, working on being in touch with that in an ongoing way 
are in danger of uh, deploying whatever they're good at, their power and strength in the world in a way that doesn't account for this spiritual, I mean, that doesn't account for doing the psychological work of getting in touch with vulnerability. Another example about how AIDS can spiritually bypass, in my view, is, uh, you know, there is a, a, a particular case that comes to my mind. Um, a, a famous Brazilian singer who was an AIDS, in my view, called Tim Maia. He wasn't spiritual at all, but and he was very concrete and... Uh, I mean, he died a long ago already, but um, he, at a certain moment, just got in touch with that guru, and 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 he started being so enthusiastic and devoted to that guru that he changed everything in his life, career, and music, and art uh, because of that. All of a sudden. Uh, with a lot of lust as an eight, a lot of excess. So that happened for a year or two until he got really disappointed with that line and came all the way back. So I think that eight's spiritual bypass in, a, in very radical moves of trusting too much at times, uh, some guru or some specific spiritual line and defending that above everything else. That makes a lot of sense. So now let's look at nines. Um, how might nines spiritually bypass? The first thing that comes to me is that nines have this tendency to merge with others uh, and even merge. It could be merging with a spiritual teacher or a spiritual experience and almost using that as a way to stay outside themselves and not do the work that nines need to do to access their inner lives. Like almost you need to sort of have a self before you lose a self is a Buddhist phrase uh, that I think is really important. So instead of developing their sense of self, their sense of connectedness to their power, their anger, their desires, their own agenda, almost going more outside themselves to find a kind of richness of experience or high level of experience of merging with something else outside themselves as opposed to getting in touch with themselves first and then having a deep connection with something else that comes from being connected to themselves. I think that nine spiritually bypass also a lot when they are just seeing everything as being nice, cool, and and pleasant. And then when someone talks about a spiritual experience, they feel it as being very nice and pleasant. But what is happening really is that they are going along with the other person or with the concept of that experience and are much more based on a, a few sensory-based perceptions of what is happening and not really opening their hearts and connecting to their souls. So sometimes that pleasant experience comes from sloth from what is the passion of that type because it's going along and self-forgetting and and just uh, taking refuge in comfort 
and they might think that they are having a good experience, but it's actually a low-level experience, nothing spiritual. Yes, and even something like being devoted to a teacher or being connected to a teacher or something outside themselves uh, as a way of avoiding being connected to themselves. I think all of these things uh, are can be ways of staying comfortable and having a positive experience, whether it's emotional or, or physical or spiritual, but not... Uh, not not realizing that they're distracting themselves from this more on the ground work of getting more connected to themselves. Yeah, I think that's good. And sometimes even doing too many workshops or for instance, uh, going, you know, doing too, too much inner work also in, in a way that is repetitive and perhaps uh, obsessive. Right. And not maybe doing something like, becoming a leader or taking more action in their life on their own behalf. That may, there may be moments where they need to do that and they avoid it. So what about type ones? What would you say, maybe I'll say something first and then I'd love to hear what you think about type ones. So I think one of the ways they may spiritually bypass is by uh, really focusing a lot on what, might, what I might describe as virtuousness in other words, trying to be really, 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 really good, maybe as defined by a spiritual teaching or a religion, uh, in a way that where they just become really dogmatic and rule following as a way of bypassing the real work of, of doing what they might need to do for their own development. It's almost like doing too much of what the one already does, of just trying to be good uh, according to some standard, uh, but not really allowing themselves to grow. It, 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 it's almost like if I'm good, if I'm proving myself, if I'm following this rule or this teaching uh, and just trying to rise above myself by being good and not realizing that actually it might be good to accept more of your badness or more of your imperfection or more of the ways that you aren't virtuous, that may be a, a better road to uh, developing more spiritual capacity for a type one. Right. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I think it has a lot to do with uh, doing what, what they think is the right thing or dogma. And many times it also has to do with playing the role model who a good representative of doing inner work should be. Not as much in terms of image, but really becoming that in the inside because it's, it, because it's the right thing. The other day, I mean, a, a while ago, I was here in the, the city I live in, London, and I went to Leicester Square. Some people might know it. And in, in Leicester Square, sometimes there are people from different religions that are just spreading their word. And it's beautiful to see different religions with small booths close to each other. It, it, it gives me a lot of hope when I see that. But that one day, one particular person of one particular religion, and it doesn't really matter what, came to talk to me in a way that was a bit aggressive, like trying to persuade me and convince me in very strong ways. And I just got the sense that the person could be a one, 
perhaps a sexual one, trying to change me and to punish me for whatever I wasn't doing right and the person didn't know me. And uh, I, I think that is an, was an example of how sometimes ones can spiritually bypass because that person was caught, in my view, on one's ego, anger, and uh, trying to perfect other people. I think that's a great example. I think sometimes you see ones almost speaking for God or having a sense they have this connection to a higher moral authority. And so they can be judgmental, both of themselves, but also of others. Uh, and I think this is a trap that ones can fall into when they're actually doing something that's quite counter to spirituality, that is sort of imposing judgment or punishment if you don't follow the rules uh, when really it ends up being a kind of man-made dogma that has nothing to do with true spiritual attainment or maybe what actually Jesus did or Buddha did as a kind of example of what real spiritual practice is all about. Do you want to dive deeper into the Enneagram? Do you want to take your self-development to the next level? Join B and Udanio in their live retreats and register to be a part of their personal mastery program. You can become a Chestnut Pies Black Belt by taking all three of their intensive Enneagram-based inner work retreats. Become a member now at Chestnut Pies Online for a lot more Enneagram content from B and Udanio. Sign up for the annual plan and get access to hundreds of audio files, videos, monthly online classes, articles, and even full online Enneagram workshops. It's a great value. Visit www.cpenneagram.com. So what about type two, my type? I think that twos can spiritually bypass a lot of times when they get enthusiastic with positive um, aspects of spirituality, especially feeling how much those aspects are beautiful and nice. And then they can express a lot of emotionality, sometimes devotion, but feeling almost like, um, you know, finding refuge in something that's cozy or beautiful, something that is inspiring. And that comes a little bit from ego. And they start acting that way with all the people when talking about their own spiritual paths. Um, maybe you can describe that a bit better than I did be. What do you think? Yeah, so my ideas about how twos tend to spiritually bypass when they do is it's a little like taking refuge in being really, really nice or really supportive or even what we might call loving. Uh, it's almost like a spiritual, bi- like twos are in love with love, right? It's almost like uh, I'm just because I'm such a loving person or because I'm focusing on love in some ways that I'm somehow elevated or elevating others. And I think, unfortunately, um, when twos don't do the work of getting in touch with the ways they can act that aren't so loving, it, this love can be a little bit of a kind of fake love or a kind of um, escape into being nice or being friendly or being helpful uh, that is, in a way, almost too much and doesn't take account of maybe their own feelings and emotions that aren't so nice and loving uh, and don't make 
much room for recognizing that in others. So it's almost like I think of this too, like sometimes I see this even in therapists that are twos. It's like really leaning into their gift for empathy and offering support, but not being able to confront someone, not being able to challenge someone. And sometimes that means not challenging themselves. Sometimes it means not seeing the pride uh, and pride is such an important thing for twos to be aware of. And I see a lot of twos, even that are spiritual teachers or Enneagram teachers, who, who, in my view, really aren't in touch with the pride and so can't get to true humility. And it's almost a kind of prideful assumption that what I'm doing is right or good or for the greater good. And not seeing how it might be self-serving or how it might be covering up some sort of pain or some sort of lack uh, that they don't want to see in themselves and that they don't want to show to others. I think twos are very sensitive to feeling humiliated or embarrassed in front of people, showing the ways they don't know certain things or they haven't done certain things along their own psychological developmental path. And it's almost like they will skip over that. The pride just kind of causes them to skip over and see themselves as a more elevated person or in a more elevated state than they actually are because they need to or because they need to be loved and they don't recognize that they really haven't done the work to either get in touch with the pride or see the whole other side of themselves that's in the shadow that kind of gets into the shadow when all you want to focus on is love or support or helpfulness or or being generous to others in a way that you think might be completely altruistic, but often isn't. Great explanation. What about threes, B? So with threes, I think that spiritual bypassing can happen through doing spiritual practice or having the image of someone who's spiritual as opposed to actually doing the work uh, to know who they are, to get in touch with all their emotions, to separate themselves out from s- sort of doing something and just, you know, doing it in terms of either the image or the work of it and not actually engaging at a deeper level inside themselves. I agree. And I I also see another B tendency here. So threes in ego become what others expect them to be. And sometimes others meaning the environment they're in or a teacher. So what happens is that sometimes when threes start doing inner work, they shapeshift into the the ultimate role model or of the spiritual seeker. They become the best example of all that people need to do to be successful as as a spiritual seeker. And that happens overnight. I've seen this happening very much with different people. And it's like it's the spiritual ego with a lot of spiritual ambition. It's becoming that not because I have already experienced all of that, but because that's what will make me uh, a good representative or perhaps the best one around of that line of work. And that is very unconscious because it's not only deceit, but it's also self-deceit. They don't know that they are doing it. Exactly. I think that's the tricky part. Like I've 
I've seen threes that sort of do meditation or do spiritual work, but they're, it's just that the superficial aspect of the doing of it. It's not the deeper experience of it. So let's talk about fours. Um, how do fours spiritually bypass? Um, I think sometimes the way I could see this happening, it could be um, getting lost in a kind of idealistic fantasy about uh, spiritual development as opposed to really doing all of the work they might need to do that's a little bit more mundane or difficult, especially from the point of viewing kind of ordinary, what's that phrase? It's like first do the dishes and then enlightenment or something like that <laughs> of just do it sort of how sometimes spiritual work is just kind of ordinary routine discipline, not so exciting or extraordinary. Um, and also maybe something about mistaking deep connection to one's own emotions or emotional territory as sort of reaching a kind of spiritual destination instead of learning to rise above the emotions or let go of emotions and as spiritual uh, experience as being something beyond that. Uh, but I'd love to hear what you think. I agree. I think also that force many times have this zeal about the spiritual work they are doing. And it's uh, like celebrating or being enthusiastic about it or intensifying certain spiritual experiences that may happen. And at the same time, they might avoid, what, as you said, the daily hard work that is not very cool. Uh, like that book, that very good book, uh, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. I think it's difficult for force to get that the laundry part is also as important in spirituality. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily that something that's going to make you special or unique, uh, although when they're in ego and not realizing uh, how much the ego might be driving or the spiritual ego, which might be a better way to say it, they may not see that they're doing it either out of envy or a desire to be special as opposed to just uh, a desire to be more humble or more uh, ordinary in a certain kind of way. So now let's talk about type five and spiritual bypassing. With type five, the social five has been described as the prototype of the spiritual bypasser. And this is your subtype. Um, but of course, all of us can spiritually bypass. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> but you know, all, all the types are uh, the prototype for all the types of something. And the social five happens to be the prototype of the spiritual bypasser. And I think this is because um, social fives tend to be very intellectual uh, and deep. They can be deeply, deeply interested in spirituality or in some sort of intellectual system or field of study. And I think sometimes the blind spot can be not realizing that they're, they are engaging more on an intellectual level or uh, instead of more a more emotional level, a more lived everyday experiential level. And that also they can uh, appreciate the sort of rising above aspect as opposed to the kind of doing the work of connecting to their emotions and connecting to the emotions of others and connecting to people in everyday life, that there's this kind of 
um, unconscious, wanting to go rise above and connect with things of a higher world uh, instead of doing the more um, uncomfortable work of getting in touch with emotional life. Uh, but what do you think? I, I'm really interested in, in your take on, on this. I, I think your points are, lo- are all true. are all a, a risk that us fives need to be aware of. And there is a lot more, though. I think fives have this tendency to make things more theoretical and not as practical or concrete or sometimes to talk too much but not do too much and to not put things into practice or to idealize models of how things should be instead of being a bit more concrete and also study more than do. So all of this adds to the risk of spiritual bypassing. Yes, I think that's those are great examples. And um, it, you know, I think one of the things I'm, I'm noticing, I'm having empathy uh, for that experience. All of the types have these different ways of wanting to move toward what feels good and comfortable and move away from what feels difficult or, or painful. And so, like you're saying, the, the five tendency to be more theoretical, to really actually enjoy uh, the intellectual process of engaging with something, something even like a system of knowledge like the Enneagram or a lot of other systems or, or spiritual traditions that we could talk about, that, that there is something that is intellectually engaging that is deeply satisfying, I think, for fives, but there they, there can be a, an overlooking of uh, the other kinds of experience that need to be included for uh, to really include all the step-by-step work uh, that needs to be done on a more psychological or emotional level. It's true, but I think also it's not only satisfying, it's also important to defend some good thing inside us. It's like an identity that we create around knowing more. And spirituality is a great area to do that, actually, because there's a lot of mystery. There are lots of interesting concepts that not many people know about. So many times it can be just a, a way to feel secure with ourselves. It might be a way to show that we know or that we are above. And yeah, there is this arrogance about fives, but it's important to know that deep inside there might be uh, a lot of um, lack of self-confidence or this feeling of being weird that many fives resonate with. Right. Well, those are all really good import- important points. I'm glad you're adding from your inside view of being a five. And I can imagine just one last thing I would add or maybe question you about is, is may there also be an, uh, maybe a less conscious element of avoiding fear? Uh, if there's a kind of rising above through the intellect, um, and like you said, getting an identity or being one who knows, there could also be an unconscious, you know, avoidance of the fear of what might happen or of overwhelm if you go through a different route, the route of more psychological engagement. I agree. Yeah, I think that's true. It's a risk. What about sixes? So with sixes, um, the first thing that comes to me is that sixes can look for good authorities 
as a way of coping with fear or insecurity or uh, you know uncertainty. Um, certainly, social sixes do this a bit more than the other sixes, but I can see sometimes when sixes spiritually bypass, it's it's like a dedication to or a devotion to a, an authority. And again, this doesn't have to be a person. It can be a system. It can be a, a spiritual tradition. It can be an ideology. But like a giving over one's power to that and and mistaking that for the attainment uh, of, uh, of of some sort of more psychological developmental achievement. So it's it's like I'm going to follow this authority or invest my authority in this or devote myself to this kind of uh, cause or this teaching or this person who who gives me the the answer or the way to go and not realize that they actually need to develop more through engaging with their fear, uh, engage their own inner power and authority more. Uh, but what what do you think about sixes when it comes to this? I agree with what you said. And, you know, it's important to remember sixes have this kind of intolerance of the unknown, of what is they can't control of or what is going to happen next. So spirituality can be seen, although it's not exactly like that, but can be seen by some people as the, the thing that brings us the answers so that we find comfort and or so that we, we can know what happens in the invisible, the ethereal, and not be surprised later on and to find some uh, comfort in knowing what we didn't know. So that can be a trap for sixes. So this is why, B, I think that although all types for sure can become a bit more like fundamentalists when it comes to spirituality and even more religion, that sixes run this risk a bit more than other types. Yes, I think you've uh, hit on something really important. And as you were talking, I got in touch with a couple other ideas. One is the idea, a little bit like what you're talking about, that sixes can become too much of a true believer in some sort of fundamentalist thing. They can almost give away their power to authoritarian authorities. Uh, but also, I, another thing that I'm noticing as we're talking is that I think there's some sixes that put their faith in something like science or rationality as a kind of spiritual truth, um, although often th this reflects a kind of deep skepticism of the spiritual. So what I've seen is that I see some sixes who almost get religious about their skepticism and even their atheism. So there's a couple of people I'm thinking of that are public figures who are known for being skeptical of spirituality or even atheists. And it's almost as if they get a kind of religious zeal about their atheism. So it's 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 a little bit like going against something like spirituality, but with the same kind of spiritual fervor of putting authority or having a kind of religious conviction about maybe the fact that there is no God, let's say. And, and, and I think that can also be a kind of a bypassing because it's like a getting locked into a kind of skepticism or a need for proof or a lack of faith uh, that, again, I think can be a trap for sixes. So let's move on to sevens. 
um, our last type. And I think sevens can also be particularly susceptible to the spiritual bypass. Again, all types can do it, but there are some types that maybe might be a little bit more prone than others. And I think uh, sevens could fall in this category, partly because I think they're you know, a main part of their unconscious coping strategy is moving toward pleasurable experiences or freedom or interesting or stimulating experiences and unconsciously moving away from anything that feels painful or uncomfortable or fearful. It's like we say they have fear of suffering. And so this can be a, a, a motivation to go to a higher dimension or a more spiritual experience that's that's expansive or light-filled or um, it gives them a certain kind of comfort and pleasure, but that they don't see is really a way to avoid uh, engaging suffering, engaging the, the, the sometimes difficult or painful work of doing your psychological development work. Um, and so, for instance, I see you. See, I think you see seven sometimes, like getting really involved with a group, with a guru, or a spiritual tradition. That's a lot about rising above uh, and going to really a, 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 an experience of love or happiness or joy or expansive, positive feeling that they don't realize is actually a, a an avoidance of engaging with whatever's painful in their life or old wounds or uh, whatever um, difficult psychological work they may need to do. And often what's behind this, of course, is a fear of getting stuck in pain. You know, sevens have this fear that if they allow themselves to engage their painful feelings, they'll be trapped in them forever. And so I think there can be this desire to find a way out and that sometimes uh, spiritual experience can be that for sevens. Another way that I think sevens sometimes spiritual bypass is when they get too curious about spiritual concepts or spiritual work and usually what happens is what i call spiritual gluttony they start trying out different aspects of spirituality and they go they jump from one to another especially when the previous one starts to get hard or boring and they try to connect all of those paths in ways that are not the best because it's good if we stick to one line and do all that that line is asking us to do. That is what our ego doesn't like and therefore it's exactly what we need to do. And as to uh, spiritual bypassing, what uh, sevens can do is to not do the psychological work also because they jump from one psychological line to another, from one therapist to another, and they do it their own way and try to even manipulate the therapist in ways that they don't do the work that they need to do. So it's gluttony speaking. Yes, I... I'm thinking now of a person I'm close to in my life who is actually married to a seven. And the reason for the breakup of their marriage was because uh, her seven husband had gotten too much into a particular guru and was using it as a way to bypass of just going to a happy place 
and feeling really good and inspired and dedicating everything to that spiritual experience and that guru and really not taking care of the the life tasks and the developmental tasks that he really needed to do to be engaged with life and with his wife. Uh, and so I think there can be this unconscious escapism or, and then a rationalization of whatever they're doing uh, as being the right thing without seeing how, you know, this big blind spot operates in them of really having this aversion to, uh, to difficult inner experience, to engaging with with the difficult ex- emotions, which I just think is part of the developmental path we all need to go. Now, of course, what sevens I think need to learn is that if they engage with that difficult experience, it won't last forever. Uh, that it's just a passage; it's a rite of passage on the way to somewhere else that is that can be quite positive, although maybe not a hundred percent positive all the time, but. We need to go through that pain in order to let it go. We need to uh, face uh, the parts of ourselves we disown in order to become more whole. And and I think sometimes when seven spiritually bypass, they want to deny that. By way of sort of summarizing and, and ending this, what I think is a very important discussion, I just want to say that I just think that the whole idea of spiritual bypassing can be something that anyone on a real serious growth path needs to be aware of uh, because I just think it's 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 too easy to do it without realizing you're doing it. And even something like wanting to go to forgiving someone too quickly can be this kind of, of bypass. And so it, it can happen in so many different ways. And it's one of the ways our ego can be very tricky with us and trying to keep us at a low level of awareness, keep us identified with a personality at just the moment when we think we're beyond it. Uh, and so I'm, I really appreciate uh, that we had this discussion. And I thank you for for um, for being my conversation partner in, in this and so many important topics. I loved it, B, and I learned uh, some new aspects I hadn't thought about when you spoke. Me too. Me too. I, 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 it hadn't occurred when we were when I was thinking about this topic. I was just really interested in the topic, and I hadn't even thought till this morning about talking about the types. But as we were going, I was having new ideas, and 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 that, it was a learning experience for me too. So thank you. It's time for our top five. What is our top five today, B? Our top five today is the top five most dogmatic types. And I thought I would define dogmatic for people just so we're all on the same page. Um, we're considering dogmatic to mean someone who is given to the expression of opinions very strongly held as if they were facts. Yeah, and we're talking about tendencies. Uh, not that uh, the types that we are going to mention will be dogmatic. And by the way, B, I think that dogmatism is more related to level of awareness than to specific types. But I think it's a good top five for us to talk to do um, to talk about some tendencies that who are uh, listening to us can pay attention to. So, what's your number five? most dogmatic type my number five is eight type eight and i would say especially sexual eights um when sexual eights 
think of something or uh, have an opinion, it's very hard to change. And at times, it's this is used in um, things like religion or politics. It's very hard for them to to bend and to uh, change uh, according to what they listen from others. What is your number five? My number five is also eight because of the denial. I think sometimes when eights see what they see as true, they can't really even allow themselves to consider. It doesn't enter their mind that the objective reality doesn't match what they think is true. So I think they can be very strong and saying this is what the truth is, even if they're in error. What about for you? What's number four? My number four is four, type four. And I see that at times, especially sexual force can become quite dogmatic. Um, it, it's like a, a kind of dogmatism that comes with a lot of zeal uh, in whatever they believe in. Um, you know, while I'm talking, maybe I would have type four as my fifth and eight as my fourth. But uh, still, this was the number four for me that I have planned uh, talking about. What about you? I have five as my number four. And potentially maybe social five, <laughs> which is your subtype. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I think sometimes when fives have a concept that they really believe in or a way of seeing things uh, that they've studied a lot and really get firmly uh, thinking about in a very firm way, they can really see what they think as, as the thing. Oh, I see where you're going with this. You chose this, this top five about dogmatism just to get me. Okay. <laughs> But you know what? I think you were, yeah, yeah. I think you were actually very nice with me. Hey, you're only number five four. Five is my number three. I, I need to agree that social fives are uh, even more at risk of being dogmatic than the other fives for the very same reasons you talked about. And what is your number three? My number three is six and especially social six and maybe sometimes sexual six as well. Of course, I, I, I probably wouldn't include self-preservation six in there because they can be tend to be very doubting even of their own strong opinions. But I think when social sixes get really fixed on a way of thinking, often one that is um, suggested by an authority or an ideology, they can be very dogmatic and really hold to it because there's an unconscious fear driving that dogmatism underneath, which can be a very powerful motivator. What about you? What's, what's your number two? I think we're heading to have a lot of consensus on this one because it's also six. Uh, for the same reasons, sixes fear doubts, and you know they they are very much in doubt of everything. But then, when they make a conclusion of any kind, they need to protect that. Otherwise, they will come back to doubting and to feeling fearful. So yeah, and maybe even more sexual and self-press sixes. But uh, yeah, that's what I see. What is your number two? 
My number two is, uh, it's, it's kind of a tie. So I started off with social one and I, I was sort of thinking in terms of types, but then I had to break it down by subtypes. Uh, but I'd also add social two in there because I think sometimes social twos because of the pride can also be very dogmatic. I would say social twos less so because twos are always a little bit less completely confirmed of their own uh, opinions in the final analysis only because of the shape shifting. Uh, but I do think social ones can be very, very fixed on their, their way is the right way. And what about your number one? It's type one. Um, I didn't break it down on subtypes. Um, so ones for me are, are the, the ones most in, at risk of being dogmatic and to me social ones uh, more than any other one although sexual ones can also be like that i actually put sexual one as my number one and i did break it down by subtype because i think i and partly it's because i do think that ones are the most dogmatic type i just think when they're in personality before they do inner work they just get very very opinionated very strong ways and especially you sometimes see this in religious contexts or things like that there can be a a, a big uh a big push to say this is the right way and and not be able to see it in the other way if i had it to do over again and i was doing it in terms of just the types i might put one at one and then and then maybe put social two down at the bottom and scoot everything up <laughs> have eight five and six uh in that order uh but i do think social one and sexual one can both be very dogmatic and you know self-preservation ones can be too a little bit although less so because they tend to uh repress anger more and be a little bit more worried about uh different things and so may not express their opinions as strongly in every situation any last comments to make about anything having to do with this list just that I liked your list maybe better than mine and uh, you have persuaded me in a few ways and I like that uh, for you social fives are not uh, as bad as I think they are. <laughs> That's a little bit surprising to me. I thought I might have to convince you of that but but I'm glad to see you're so self-aware. <laughs> Uh, another good top five. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Join us again for our Enneagram 2.0 podcast, where we talk about all things Enneagram.